Welcome to the Mass Device Fast Five MedTech News Podcast. Today, we're bringing you a special episode of the Fast Five. It's been quite an eventful year for MedTech, from layoffs in mass to brain computer technology. John and I thought it'd be prudent to bring you some of the biggest stories in MedTech that happened this year. I'm your host, Danielle Kirsch, and I'm joined by Sean Hooley. Yeah, no, we thought that it would be the best way to sort of wrap up what has been a very busy year across MedTech in all sorts of ways by giving you some of the biggest headlines that we've come across over the last 12 months. So to start off, we had a lot of layoffs this year and a good chunk of our top stories on Mass Device were related to that. And a lot of our top episodes on the Fast Five were related to layoffs. Those layoffs plagued a lot of industries in 2023 and companies like Yahoo, Disney, and Zoom really grappled with the economic pressures of an anticipated recession, COVID, and more. But MedTech was not unique. At the start and height of the COVID-19 pandemic, some MedTech companies did not face some of the economic challenges that other industries faced because MedTech was at the front lines of the pandemic. Many companies had positive sales growth because of COVID-related sales, but as the pandemic slowed down in the eyes of the public, the industry started to see some economic hits. Yeah, we've seen a lot of medtech resilience in the present environment. Some major companies released positive earnings this year, but others have announced headcount reductions with macroeconomic headwinds as the reasoning. Others felt the weight of regulatory issues, restructuring efforts, and supply chain problems, while changes in how China buys products for its national health system also had a negative impact. Rather than covering one major company layoff, let's take a look back at some of the largest layoffs that we've covered over on Mastvice. So, Sean, which company laid off the biggest percentage of their workforce this year? Well, of all the companies we covered, Acutus Medical had the largest percentage of its workforce laid off, with the company cutting nearly 150 jobs, which constitutes about 65% of its total workforce. What was the reason behind those layoffs? It was all part of a restructuring effort that included shutting down a chunk of the company's business to focus on a partnership with Medtronic. So the restructuring involved winding down the electrophysiology mapping and ablation business at Acutus to focus on manufacturing left heart access products for Medtronic after Acutus sold its left heart access portfolio to Medtronic for $50 million last year. So let's look at some of the bigger names in MedTech. What larger companies laid off employees and how many did they lay off? There were a lot of large companies that got involved in this with Philips cutting 13% of its global workforce, which at a massive company like that totaled about 10,000 people. Baxter cut around 3,000 positions and Johnson & Johnson cut around 1,000 jobs. And we also had layoffs at Medtronic and 3M Healthcare, although the numbers involved in those moves were actually unclear. But still, with large companies getting involved in the layoffs, you could see it was an industry-wide issue. Obviously, we don't have to specifically address the reason behind each and every layoff, but what were some of the main reasons for those reductions in workforces? Yeah, like you said, each company had its own reasons. Philips had a lot of its job cuts stemming from its ongoing respironics recall, which we've covered at length in the fallout from that. Baxter is undergoing a massive restructuring effort that includes spinning off business units. So that contributed there. Otherwise, a lot of companies have consolidation efforts, narrowing of focus, these types of things that were pinpointed as the reasoning behind these decisions. So contrary to layoffs, some of the big names in medtech executive leadership also left their posts for new jobs in 2023. 
Some of our top stories on Mass Device and on the Fast Five were about CEOs leaving for a new company, retiring, or some other reason. By far, one of the biggest changes was at Johnson & Johnson MedTech. I know we've talked about this at length on this podcast, but just to recap that change, J&J, EVP, and MedTech Worldwide Chair Ashley McAvoy announced her resignation from the world's second largest device manufacturer after 27 years with J&J. She cited as part of her resignation that she just wanted to pursue new opportunities. Tim Schmid was named as her successor, and Schmid is a 30-year J&J veteran who was more recently company group chair of J&J MedTech Asia-Pacific. But we had some other top MedTech personnel moves for the year, thanks to new spinoffs, increased innovation at some companies, legal battles, and terminations. Let's start with the spinoffs angle. What was one of the major personnel moves that moved a CEO to one of those spinoffs? Yeah, the biggest shift there came when Zimmer Biomet CEO Brian Hansen elected to take the corner office at the new 3M Healthcare spinoff. It led to a series of changes at Zimmer Biomet with Ivan Tornos taking over the reshuffled executive team there while we wait for 3M to complete its spin to really see what Hansen is going to do at the helm there. This move between medtech companies was obviously big, as was, as you mentioned, the surprising resignation of McAvoy. While McAvoy hasn't made her next permanent move, she did recently take up a board seat at consumer goods maker Procter & Gamble. So her moves have certainly been probably the biggest story in medtech, but as far as spinoffs go, Brian Hansen to 3M is the biggest. And we'll see more from the 3M spinoff in the new year. We also saw a lot of CEO changes this year. Which other companies picked a new CEO for that corner office? Some other noteworthy changes included Massimo Calfiori taking over at OrthoFix after the company fired its CEO and two other executives with cause. Illumina CEO Francis D'Souza resigned amid legal scrutiny over a merger, and the company picked Jacob Thaisen as his replacement. Cordis, Distalmotion, Silk Road Medical, and Nevro are others who have new CEOs as well. What were some other executive changes? Far too many to list all of them, but some that caught the eye were the appointment of Jasmina Brooks as Biosense Webster's new president, Brooks Stories moved to head up BD's surgical unit, Dexcom hiring former J&J exec Terry Lover as chief commercial officer, Dr. Nick West leaving Abbott to become Shockwave Medical's chief medical officer, and Medtronic naming Paolo DiVincenzo as its new neuromodulation president. What story should we cover next, Sean? We'll talk about the Silicon Valley bank closure. This closure in March affected several medtech companies. At the time, the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation shuttered Silicon Valley Bank on March 10th to save off what was turning into an old-fashioned bank run. I recall this being a story that kind of hit us at the end of the day. So it was really shocking and we were kind of rushing around to see what it would do for medtech. Silicon Valley Bank also known as SVB, has been a huge name in the tech and startup world since its founding in the 90s. According to the bank's own website before it shuttered, half of all US VC-backed tech and life science companies use the bank. That meant startups were especially vulnerable in this closure and found themselves asking how much they'd get back above the $250,000 FDIC deposit insurance limit. Yeah, it's funny you say that. It was a very interesting day. I remember coming out of an on-site visit in the morning in Boston and sort of seeing what had happened in the afternoon and it just being a buzz, not really being sure of the ramifications, but banking regulators ensured that SVP depositors had access to their funds following the closure. 
and the Federal Reserve ended up providing loans for up to one year to shore up other banks, which were sitting on long-term, low-interest investments that they might have had to sell at a loss with the high-interest rate environment at the time. So as we mentioned, MedTech was obviously affected by this closure. And I know at the time, we only covered a fraction of the companies involved, but what companies had the most money tied up in that bank? Well, some of the noteworthy companies included iRhythm, Acutus, which we've already talked about, which actually told us that the majority of its money was outside SVB and not at risk, as well as Inspire Medical, Procept Biorobotics, and many more. Of those companies, iRhythm had the highest value of money tied up with a five-year loan agreement, with a term loan of up to $75 million, and revolving credit of up to $25 million. And if I remember correctly, Insulet ended up kind of benefiting from the closure, right? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the long-term impact has been, if any. But with SVB closing, Insulet actually almost immediately replaced the bank on the S&P 500, meaning the company joined the index tracking 500 large companies listed on stock exchanges in the U.S. So certainly a milestone for Insulet that sort of came at the expense of SVB. But that was one of the sort of strange dominoes to fall in that whole story. Now, keeping on the topic of money, we had some pricey acquisitions in 2023. At the end of 2022, we obviously saw the J&J Abiomed acquisition that really shocked us. M&A activity was seemingly up for the year, despite some of those macroeconomic challenges we mentioned earlier. By far, one of the most popular ones on Mass Device was Abbott's acquisition of cardiovascular systems. That deal was valued at $890 million. Within that same week, though, Globus Medical and Nuvasiv announced plans to merge and GE Healthcare announced plans to acquire Caption Health and its AI-powered image guidance technology. Also this year, J&J sold Eclarent to Integra Life Sciences. Haymanetics made a $255 million cardiology play with the acquisition of Opsens. Medtronic announced it would acquire insulin patch pump maker EOFlow for $738 million, only to then nix the deal a few months later, and there was so much more. So another shocking play was Zimvi's recent decision to sell its spine business and become a pure play dental company. So let's go back to our most read acquisition story, Abbott's acquisition of cardiovascular systems. Why did that deal make sense for Abbott? Well, Abbott is already a major player in the cardiac device space. So the acquisition bolstered its portfolio with atherectomy technology from CSI. Obviously, the company develops the Diamondback 360, which is a minimally invasive procedure that cuts plaque from the walls of a blood vessel. And providers use it in addition to or as an alternative to balloon angioplasty. So really, from a product perspective, it bolstered the Abbott portfolio. What were executives' reactions of that acquisition? Well, Lisa Earnhardt, Abbott's EVP of Medical Devices, said that the acquisition will add new complementary technologies to Abbott's leading vascular device offerings, with CSI bringing a talented and experienced team and a leading atherectomy system. Cardiovascular Systems CEO Scott Ward said that Abbott shares CSI's passion for innovative solutions to treat complex peripheral vascular disease and coronary artery disease. They believe that combining with Abbott delivers value to patients, physician customers, employees, and stockholders. And speaking of stockholders, what did analysts think about this acquisition at the time? Analysts were optimistic as well, calling it an inexpensive way for Abbott to tap into large, high-growth adjacent market opportunities. And they said it was a prudent purchase with a favorable risk-reward profile for Abbott. And finally, another topic that we talked about a lot this year was brain-computer interface technology. It seemed to have its moment in 2023. 
many companies joined the playing field for that tech or had breakthroughs in 2023. This technology is interesting because it could potentially enable countless immobile people someday to control a mouse cursor, keyboard, mobile device or tablet, wheelchair, or prosthetic device by only thinking. We've covered so many names in this space, but BlackRock Neurotech, BrainGate, ClearPoint Neuro, Neuralink, Synchron, and many more are racing to bring brain-computer interface tech to the market using a multitude of methods in developing their own systems, allowing patients to control a computer with their brain. Synchron is one of the leaders in this burgeoning space with its catheter-delivered Centrode BCI implant. Company officials believe it's the only company tapping into blood vessels to capture signals from the brain, and it also has the backing of Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, too. So we've covered what Synchron does. What is BlackRock Neurotech doing? Well, BCI sort of became a buzzword in the past few years, but BlackRock's technology has been ongoing in human patients for nearly 20 years. The Utah Array implant has been used in patients since 2004 to research studies with zero FDA-reported serious adverse events since then. It also has BCI candidates under evaluation, with its Move Again BCI being studied in collaboration with a lab in Pittsburgh, and the Neuralace NextGen Neural Interface, which it unveiled late last year. And what about what ClearPoint Neuro is doing? Well, oddly enough, ClearPoint Neuro a couple of years ago entered into an agreement with none other than BlackRock Neurotech to develop an automated surgical solution for implanting BCIs into patients with neurological disorders, including paralysis, ALS, blindness, and hearing loss. The company aims to leverage the, its own platform and software with BlackRock Neurotech's Utah Array to deliver a clinical solution for surgeons that is more streamlined and effective than any other BCI implementation surgeries to date. And Neuralink has had an interesting year, to say the least. What's their story? Yeah, Neuralink, definitely an interesting one, which isn't a surprise given the rather controversial Elon Musk is behind that venture. But the company announced a long-awaited FDA approval to conduct first-in-human implants for its BCI and also raised more than $300 million this year as well. On the other hand, there's been long-standing interest from government regulators around Neuralink's animal practices, and now the U.S. government wants to probe Neuralink as a result of the deaths of several monkeys implanted with the company's BCI. So the year had good and bad for Neuralink, but I think one of the key takeaways for me as we talked about you know, Synchron and some of these other companies is that others have clearly made up so much ground uh, on Neuralink, which was at one point thought to be a front-runner in this space. So yeah, we, we've been sort of paying close attention to this over the last couple of years as it continues to grow the BCI space, and it'll be exciting to continue watching. So to kind of summarize 2023, we had layoffs, personnel moves, the Silicon Valley bank closure, a handful of mergers and acquisitions, and that BCI technology. So that is the top five stories of the year for the Mass Device Fast Five. And this is the last episode of the year. So just wanted to thank all of our listeners for tuning in throughout the year on our new news podcast. And we hope you tune in again in, in the new year. Yep. As always, read more on the Mass Device website. We really appreciate your readership and listenership for this podcast over the course of the year and hopefully into 2024 as well. Give us a follow on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at Danielle Kirsch, K-I-R-S-H. Where can they find you, Sean? You can find me on LinkedIn, Sean, S-E-A-N, Hooley, W-H-O-O-L-E-Y. 
Subscribe to the Mastivize Fast Five wherever you listen to podcasts and share this episode. Join us in the new year for your daily MedTech News Roundup. Thank you for listening. Thank you.